Welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today, or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd. Welcome to the new Jesus. We're, we've been talking about transformation, a life beyond imagination. And uh, most of the believers I know, they know that passage really well. Some of them will even talk about it. But if you sit down and start talking seriously with them, not just the image they put out for other people, but how they really feel internally, Almost no believers I've ever done that with have felt like their life was beyond imagination. Now, I don't believe that's failing by God or the Holy Spirit or Scripture. I think that's a failing on our part from men and women, a lot of them well-meaning, but following a model of what the church and the kingdom is supposed to be about that is not from Scripture, that is or the Jerusalem church, but that is from men. And then if we get back to what Scripture does say, take God at His word, His promises, and, and what He says is the truth about the new covenant, the new kingdom, grace, righteousness, mercy, atonement, all of that, um, I believe a life beyond imagination is absolutely possible. Okay, uh, I have problems every day. I sin probably every day. All right, but I but my life today, I can honestly say, is beyond my imagination. Now, not my beyond my imagination as far as being able to imagine living at Biltmore or the White House or some other great estate and being a billionaire or something like that. No, no, I'm not talking about that, and I don't really think God is talking about that. I'm talking about beyond imagination, internal, love, joy, peace, etc., uh, believing and understanding the promises of God about who I am, and not only, not just left-brain linear, you know, I think that, but in my heart and mind and even body sometimes, I feel it. 
I feel the promises of God. I feel like I am righteous and holy and and innocent and all that. Not not at all because of my effort or willpower or works. The, the contrary, not none from that, but a gift from God to His adopted Son through Jesus, and that I believe is available for you too. Okay, and so I want to apologize. I know in, in some of these teachings, there's a good bit of overlap or repeat. Uh, and, and that's probably just me. And I ask you to forgive me for it. But these issues are critical to me. And I, want, I, I would rather offend you and go a little bit long or repeat than I would to offend God or not portray it accurately. Okay, and and I've not seen these things really taught that I'm teaching. Uh, some of them, and some related things, and some close things, but not in complete and wholeness. Okay, um, so I feel like in some ways I'm trying to go through the rainforest with a machete, blazing a trail for you to come without having to fight the forest, okay? And, and that's probably way too arrogant and prideful of me to think, you know, God might choose me to do something like that, and, and I'm probably wrong. But that's that's how I feel, okay? So uh, that's why the repeat overlap, etc. All right, so we're still after transformation. Uh, Romans 12, 1, be transformed. God wouldn't tell us we could if we couldn't. And he even tells us how we can. Uh, by the renewing of our mind, laying our body down as a living sacrifice, praying without ceasing, thinking about these things, and from that comes pretty much everything. Okay? So, but let's take the next step. Okay? Um, so, we want to go from fear, falsehood, sin, and death, to love, truth, grace, life. Okay? There's a fascinating passage, amazing passage, one of my favorite passages that I've kind of been waiting to spring on you a little bit, and I think this is where it fits. And it's um, 1 Samuel 10, verses 9, um, and it's talking about before a new heart and new spirit and transformation and post-new heart, new spirit, and after transformation. What's the difference? And are, is there an example in Scripture of that? There is! 1 Samuel 10, verses, verse uh, 9. And I want to read this. This is so amazing to me. I want to read it. Um, and, this is, and Samuel is taking a flask of oil, and I, let me just read then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. Has not the Lord anointed you over his uh, leader, over his inheritance? When you lead me today, you will. And then he started telling all this stuff that's going to happen when Paul gets up from this anointing as king to leave. But none of it's happened yet, all right? And, and there's like... Um, Ten, nine verses of all these things that will happen because God is, do, God is doing this right now in Saul. 
okay? And um, let's see, starting in verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. And then he says, um, go down to Gilgal, and I will come down to sacrifice, whatever, but you must wait seven days. And that was it. So Paul anointed him, said all this stuff, but none of it's happened, and Saul doesn't feel it, okay? Now, verse 9, as Saul turned to leave, as Saul, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day when they arrived. So Samuel anoints Saul and says, all these things are going to happen. You're going to, to the degree that you're going to be a completely different person. But Saul didn't feel anything. Nothing's changed. He's the same old Saul. He gets up to leave, probably thinking, you know, I, I, I don't really feel anything. I don't, and boom, God changed his heart. And everything is different. All of it was fulfilled. He had the power. He knew what to do, had the power to do it. God was with him, etc. All right? Well, God basically says the same thing about us in the new covenant. He'll give us a new heart and a new spirit. All right? Uh, so let's, let's see what are the implications of that. So pre-transformation, a desire to sin, okay? This is talking about the heart, biblically. Before this happens, before conversion, the heart has a desire to sin. That's the main desire of the heart, to sin, to sin, not to do good. After the conversion, when we're given a new heart, and a new spirit, Scripture says, our heart desires to do good and please God. Big, big difference. You might think of in the, in the context we've been talking about, 80% negative to 80% positive. That, so, yeah, we can still choose to sin. We can still choose fear. We can still choose the negative. But there's been a fundamental change. We have a new heart and a new spirit. The new spirit leads us to... God, the fruits of the Spirit, God's will for us, love, joy, peace, the heart now, instead of desiring to do evil more than anything else, desires to do good more than anything else, scripturally. Big change. So we need to understand the instructions, understand the rules, just like a new car or a new computer or something, and say, okay, now, there's been a change. New heart, new spirit. I've got power now I didn't used to have. I desire to do good now, where before I desire to do evil. If I will lay down my body as a living sacrifice, I'll know what is right from wrong and have the power to do it. My mind will be transformed and renewed. Uh, if I pray without ceasing, the peace of God that passes understanding will guard my heart and mind. And if I and I'm supposed to think about was true, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, etc. And and it's all of that put together is a total game changer. All right. So 
Romans 12, renew the will of the mind by sacrificing your body, then you know and can do it. The old law um, of the flesh, your heart is inclined to evil. That's Genesis 8. Jeremiah 17 goes further. It's deceitful above all things. He's talking about the heart before conversion. It's desperately sick. It is beyond cure, and you can't understand it which is what Paul said in Romans 7, we're going to get to in a minute, I don't understand my own actions. Well, that's what sin does. And, and, and that heart that now my number one thing is not a desire to do evil, but I can still go there. All right? It's my choice now. Where before it was a much harder choice because what I really wanted most was the evil. Okay. Uh, the parable of sower. The fruit... Is about understanding, all right? Who can understand it? That's what I don't understand my own behavior. But the parable of the sower is you need to understand it because that's the only way that God's good fruit will be manifested. If you don't understand it, the evil one will snatch it away. It will not be understood. It will not bear good fruit, which means you're going to be bearing bad fruit, sin, okay? Um... And then in Romans 7, Paul said, I don't understand. But he does not say now that the problem is in his heart. Okay? All this stuff up here about the heart, it, it's deceitful above all, inclined to evil, beyond cure, can't understand. Okay? That's all the heart. But then Paul, in Romans 7, in the New Covenant, he's not saying that anymore about the heart. He says, in my inner being, in my heart... I desire to do what is good, which is exactly what Scripture says happens after conversion. Now the desire is more to do good than to do evil. That's what Paul says in Romans 7, in my inner being, in my heart, I now desire to do what is good, but the flesh, the sin living in my flesh is right there with me, and I end up doing what I don't want to do instead of what I do want to do, okay? But he goes on, remember, and says, when that happens, it's not me doing it. It's sin living in me. Okay, my, not me. Not counted against my name. All right? Even though he obviously is feeling some guilt and shame about. All right? Um, scripture says we would never even have known about sin if it hadn't been for the old law. That the law stirred it up. But now I'm dead to the law and I'm alive in the spirit of life. And it is not me doing it. It's flesh. It's not my heart doing it. Remember? That's what Paul said. Where in the Old Testament, it sure appeared to be the heart that was the source of the problem. Now, it seems to be almost exclusively the flesh. All right? Um, Proverbs 21. God looks at the God judges the intent of the heart. Transformation changes the intention of the heart to more desiring evil to more desiring good. Okay? Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. All right? The new heart, a soft heart, a heart that's inclined more to good, a heart that wants to please God. 
and a new spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of power, the spirit that wields the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that brings life and health to my mortal body, comforts and counsels me, lead and guide me to all truth, manifest the fruits of God. I'm given both of those at conversion, and it changes me from leaning more to, towards sin and evil to leaning more toward good, desiring that, and now able to do it in a way that was at least much, much harder before conversion. There is no New Testament passage that says a believer's heart is corrupt. And the Old Testament does indicate the heart is corrupt. What happened? There's been a change. He gave you a new heart and a new spirit. Okay? There's been a change. Are you acting like it? Are you living like it? Okay? Now, you can choose that way of escape. You know the scripture, there's always a way of escape? Man, I, I knew that scripture backwards and forwards, but so many times I felt like for me, yeah, there may be a way of escape, but I don't know where it is, and I can't take it. It's like I can't open that door for some reason, and I, I, I end up doing the sin. After conversion, I can find that door, and I can open it. Okay? Big difference. All right? So there's no New Testament passage that talks about the heart, the, the heart of a believer who's in right standing with God being sinful or corrupt. All right? Jeremiah 29, seek God with your whole heart and you will find him. I, I, I talk to so many believers who, I just don't have any connection to God. Feels like there's a glass ceiling above me and my prayers don't go anywhere. Well, are you seeking him with your whole heart? He promises if you do that, you will find him. And I believe that's praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing, I believe, is one of the major components of seeking God with your whole heart, which means you will find him. Okay? I believe Enoch did that. Scripture talks about Enoch. Uh, you know, he, he didn't die. Uh, God took him up into heaven, one of just a very few people that that happened to. And I heard a story that was a little kid's kind of explanation of that that I just love. He said, I know how that happened. And the preacher said, how? To the little boy. And he said, well, it's just like me and my friend. Enoch walked with God every day, okay? And one day, they probably walked and talked so long that God said, hey, Enoch, we're closer to my place now than we are to yours. You just come home with me. I love that. But that's basically the praying without ceasing. Okay. First uh, John 3, 5. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. Now, that's a little different take than, than just forgiving or grace or propitiation or whatever. To take away, that means I don't have it anymore. I may remember having it, but I don't have it. Okay? Now, Paul said in Romans 7 that the sin was in his flesh, okay, uh, that he was doing. Is it possible? I, I, I'm not saying we've made an advance on the great apostle Paul, but is it possible that God can take away the sin in my flesh? 
Well, of course it's possible. Is that part of God's intention for us? I'm not sure, but I pray that. I pray that, okay, that uh, that God will change that in me, that he will literally take away my sin, not just forgive it, but take it away from my heart, my flesh, my mind, soul, Scripture says that multiple times. John the Baptist said it. John said it. I believe Peter and Paul said it. He, it, he came to take away the sin of the world. All right. So I would pray that. I've been praying that. Please take it away. Yeah, forgive it. Never written under my name. All of that. But even in my flesh, if that's your will, Father, please take it away. Okay, um, let's see. And replace it with your love, joy, peace, health, the life and health of Jesus, etc. All right? New Testament versus Old Testament heart is a heart of stone versus a soft heart of flesh. The heart of stone inclined to evil more than anything. The heart of flesh inclined to good more than anything. Okay? All right. Let's go to the other side of the board. All right. Acts 16.31. Got a question for you. You all know this. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Period. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Also John 3.16. That sign we've seen at every sports event for the last 50 years. All right? Uh, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Okay? I got a question for you. When you sin, and when you've sinned in the past, and when you sin today, did you stop believing in Jesus when you sinned? Because I know 100% of the time, going back to 12 years old when I was baptized, when I sinned, I still believed in Jesus even though I'd sinned, all right? Well, if you believe in Jesus, you're saved, period. It doesn't say, if you believe in Jesus, you're saved as long as you don't sin at all. No, it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is of grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast, etc. all right? So please think about that. It doesn't make any sense. If you believe in Jesus and you're saved, then whether you've just committed a sin or just done a good work, you're still saved, all right? Because if you still believe in Jesus. And 99.9% .9 of the believers I've counseled with over 40 years, when I ask them this question, say, oh, no, I, I still believed in Jesus. I just did, I was just had a weak moment and did pornography or had a weak moment and got drunk or had, or had a weak moment and was mean to somebody, or had a weak moment, and lied, but I always still believed in Jesus. Well, scripturally, that means you're still saved. Not sin lost. Repent saved. Sin lost. Repent saved. No, 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 no. Here's the benchmark. If you believe in Jesus, you're saved. Period. Okay? Sin? No sin? Yeah, you need to, re you need to repent and confess, you, you know, but say you're sorry but you're still saved. All right, Jesus, 1 John 2, Jesus is the propitiation for all the sins of the world. What does propitiation mean? 
Well, the metaphor for it is I've committed murder or some terrible crime and I'm up in front of the firing squad with a, you know, a blindfold on about to be executed and I'm guilty. <clears throat> and Jesus walks in and, and tells me to leave and says, I'm guilty, not Alex. Execute me. And I am declared by Jesus and the Father innocent of those sins, and Jesus is declared guilty. Okay? So, that's what propitiation. Jesus was the propitiation for all the sins of the world. Not just believers, everybody. God, God uh, paid the price for all and wishes all to come to repentance. Okay, 1 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus to be sin so that we could be righteousness. Well, what does the word be mean? That's who you are. That's your identity. Okay? So, he made Jesus to be our, my sin and yours. Not just to carry it, but to be it. To be that sin. Man, that, that is, you can't get, get any more guilty than that. Okay? Your identity is that sin. Okay? And, but our identity, through Jesus, is righteousness. The great exchange. All right? All right, so your identity is righteousness. Jesus' identity, the crucified Jesus, is your sin. But that is never your identity. Yours is righteous. Okay, um, let's see. Scriptures say we do sin, but we are not sin. Be sin? That is never in Scripture. No scripture comes anywhere close to saying, I am sin, that my be is my be is sin. No, 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 no. My be is righteousness. Uh, Paul, Paul even said, it's in me, but not me. Okay, and we talked about this last week. If you believe without doubting at all and take it to God in prayer, it will be done. So pray and ask for God for the faith to believe without doubting at all. What? That the mountain's going to move? No. No. Have you ever known of a mountain to move? Okay. Now maybe that's possible in Scripture. and That's what that Scripture says. If you have that kind of faith, you'll say to this mountain, move and it'll be moved. But I don't believe that's what we're supposed to use it for. Okay. Why would God necessarily want a mountain moved anyway? or to believe for a new car or house. or I don't think that was ever what was intended. I think what we're supposed to believe is the new covenant, God's promises in Scripture about who you are, your identity, and the righteousness of Christ, grace, forgiveness, propitiation, all of that. Okay? Um... It is not by willpower. Faith is the substance that comes from God. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, so be praying for that. Pray without ceasing to believe without doubting. That's the new covenant. Pray without ceasing to believe without doubting. And if you believe without doubting, it will be done. 
and talking about believing the new covenant, who you are in Christ and all, once you believe that without doubting and that is done in you, you are the righteousness of Christ, it's not written under your name, you're righteous, innocent as if you've never sinned, etc. Let me tell you, that is beyond imagination. That is life beyond imagination when you not only have that, as Scripture says, but you start to feel it because you've been transformed. Okay? All right. And you're living the truth of the new heart of the new covenant versus the old heart of the old law and a new spirit. Okay? Changes us from wanting, desiring more evil to desiring more good. All right? Uh, Philippians 4, cast all your anxiety on the Lord, pray, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay? Uh, and then these are sort of my things. Me, Alex. Grace Love Steps. All right. Number one, pray without ceasing. And that same scripture says, be joyful all the time. Be joyful and thankful in all things at all times. How do you do that? Praying without ceasing. Because then you get more power, more faith to do what I need to do for your intention of your heart to be manifested as loving, faithful action. So pray without ceasing. Uh, give me the faith to believe without doubting at all. Then present my body a living sacrifice and don't take it back. And almost all sin is tied to our physical body. We want a big house to relax, maybe to impress some people too, but relax and have fun. Well, that's related to the body. Bed, body, sleep, body. Anxiety, depression, body, hungry, body, temperature, body, beautiful versus not-so-beautiful circumstances tied to the body, some of the mind there too, okay? But virtually always in Scripture when it talks about the flesh, it talks about sin, okay? So present your body a living sacrifice. Lay that down to God. Do not take it back. Think about these things, what is true, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise. Deny the flesh, disregard your emotions, okay? Deny the flesh. That is not where you want to go. Yeah, you still can. It's not near as strong as it was before conversion, but you can still do it, especially if you're in the habit of doing it. But now you can choose the right way. And if you've laid down your body as living sacrifice, prayed without ceasing, th think about these things, then your mind has been transformed. You know what to do, have the power to do it. You have the peace of God, etc. All right? Uh, wait and exchange your strength for God's. Ask God to take away my sin, if that is possible not only in my heart, mind, spirit, soul, maybe even in my flesh. Is that possible? I don't know from Scripture, all right? But I would ask God, if that's possible, even take it away from my body and please replace that sin and, and, and also take away the thoughts, emotions, feelings, beliefs that come from that sin, guilt, shame, identity, worth, anger, anxiety, fear, unforgiveness, whatever. Please take away my sin, Father. Please take away all the emotional and feeling stuff that came from my sin. Please take away everything in my body, health-wise, negative, that has come from sin. 
in my entire life. And please replace all of that with the life of Jesus manifested in my body, love, joy, peace, and the fruits of the Spirit, the presence, power, light, love, and glory of God that is everywhere, the power of the Holy Spirit that's in me. Please replace all that sin stuff and the effects of sin with your righteousness, holiness, presence, power, forgiveness, everything. All right? New heart, no longer corrupt, and a transformed mind. Okay? Um, when scripture, when New Testament scripture talks about a corrupt heart, it's typically not talking about a believer in right standing with God. It's talking about someone who is practicing sin as we talked about before. Not just messing up and sinning, but practicing sin, which means the intention of their heart is to sin, not to not sin. All right? The passages in the New Testament that talk about a corrupt heart, and they do, that appears to be what it's talking about. Not a believer in right standing with God who just, my intention is to do good, but I can't carry it out like Paul said, and I end up sinning. No, 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 that's forgiven. You're still righteous, holy, all that. But if your intention is to sin, if you're practicing sin, then yeah, you, there's corruption in your heart. Uh, even if you're a believer, and you need to shift from that and start living what Scripture says. All right. Um, and Father, give me enough faith from to, be, to believe without doubting, from love in my heart to have the life beyond imagination. Okay? That's Ephesians 3. Uh, the preface to a life beyond imagination in Ephesians 3 is having the love of Christ in your heart by faith, which comes from spending time, more and more time, with the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, time in Scripture, understanding Scripture, as Scripture says we need to do and always be ready to give an answer, not for what we believe, not for what the preacher or somebody else believes, okay? And then um, sin is taken away, new spirit, new heart, no longer corrupt, and now you can choose, okay? So um, I hope this encourages you, um, especially this, my guess is when you sin, you don't stop believing in Jesus. Well, if that's true, and then you start feeling guilt and shame from the sin, you're being deceived. Okay? Because you're still saved. If you believe in Jesus. And then, the one from the other side, that pre-conversion, I have a desire to sin more than a desire to do good, beyond cure, can't understand, desperately sick, deceitful above all things, but then after conversion, a desire to please God and do good. I would say maybe I've been shifted, from, as what we've been talking about, from 80% negative to 80% positive, and it's happened as a transformation from a gift from God for being in loving relationship with Him, accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior, believing and searching scriptures, 
consulting with, yielding to the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me, etc. Okay? So, you need to know that. That you've been changed, like Saul. Okay? He didn't feel a thing, evidently. Samuel was telling him all this great stuff that was going to happen. He didn't seem to feel any of it. He gets up to lead. Wham! God does it. Changes his heart. Well, God gave you a new heart and a new spirit. Says the new heart is inclined to good in a way that the other, that your old heart wasn't. The new spirit is inclined to good and to God. Will leading God you give you power, etc. So I hope those two things will be your takeaways today and encouraging to you. You have a new heart and spirit that now you you desire more to do good than to do evil, which was not true before conversion. So use your new heart and spirit. That's why God gave it to you. And if you believe in Jesus, when you sin, you are still saved. So there's not so guilt and shame and condemnation and unforgiveness and all that stuff is a lie. Do don't buy it anymore. Confront it with scripture, take that captive, give it to the Father, and then reinforce the truth of scripture. No, I am still saved. I believe in Jesus. All right? And I and my heart and spirit incline to good. I'm going to go that way, not wallowing in guilt and shame over sin. That is a total lie based on Scripture. So uh, I hope this is encouraging to you. It was in incredibly encouraging and, and, and life-changing for me to know that I've got this new heart and spirit inclined to good, and now I can choose good. And then, number two... That every time in my life that I've sinned, I've still believed in Jesus, which scripturally means I am still saved. All right. Live it. Share it. Have a wonderful, blessed day.